pray and we'll dive in. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the power of your spirit. Thank you that you promise that you would never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, God, that Scripture says that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we pray for the, the filling of your Spirit. We know you're already present. We pray that you would fill this place, that you would fill our lives, that you would move like you've never moved before. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, you, may, you may have watched a film or a television program, and um, maybe you've picked up on this sometimes. They will, um, maybe it's the opening of the film, and um, they will show us a scene. And it'll be a scene that we don't have a lot of context to. It may be a couple walking on the beach with their dog, and they are clearly in love, but it's also maybe there's a little hint that they've been through something together, but here they are now walking on the beach, and they have their love, and everything's good, and the right kind of music is kind of playing, and you're like, oh, okay, wow. And then the filmmaker or the television episode maker has to kind of take you back and give you some context, because you don't really know how they arrived at this place, right? All you know is that, oh, that's kind of nice, but what, there's more to this story. And so the filmmaker will take you back and then begin to, and it'll actually put a stamp maybe on the screen and say, three weeks earlier, or three months earlier, or three years earlier, right? And then they begin to tell us the story, and you may have a scene now where the couple isn't together at all. They're playing, they're living separate lives, and, and now it, bring, it fills in this backstory and brings us forward. What we're going to do with today's chapter of the book of Acts is uh, chapter 2, and what we're going to look at is kind of this opening scene that doesn't have a lot of context, but lots of people like to quote these passages because they sound wonderful. And they are wonderful and they are powerful, but um, we want to go back a little ways and give them a little bit of context so that they help us to understand a bit more about the presence and the power um, of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers and the lives of the church, of of the church corporately, all right? So here's the scene that most of the time we look to and we even quote, and you've heard these passages before, you may not have recognized or realized that they're from the book of Acts, But they are. Acts chapter 2. This is the birth of the church. This is where um, the church begins. This is where uh, there's there's this corporate sort of coming together, uh, sort of a homogenous group that comes together uh, under the title of The Way. They're really called People of The Way. Um, They're not quite called Christians yet, but they're called The Way. And um, this is where they, they begin to come together. But listen to these passages. We quote them often. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone, verse 43, check this out. This is awesome. I would, you would want to join this church and be a part of this church. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together 
with glad and sincere hearts. It's awesome, huh? Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow. So you get this, you see the opening, the opening scene here. You have a group of people that are gathered. There's a lot of, there's a community. There's a sense of harmony. There's a sense of, of, of collective, uh, there's unity. There's, um, there's this beauty of fellowship that exists. They're sitting down, they're sharing meals together, they're sharing resources together, and it is quite powerful, it's quite beautiful. And it's, the, it's this scene that we often go to first, but what's powerful is what led to this particular scene. So we're going to go back just a little bit and begin to understand a little bit more about what on earth is going on. And to do that, we've got we to go back to chapter 1 of the book of Acts. And just before we get there, a little bit of a setup, a little bit of a context for the book of Acts. So Luke is the author. The same guy who wrote the gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, also wrote the book of Acts. And hopefully, as we go through this series, you'll take the time and go back and begin to read the book of Acts for yourself. It's not enough just for you to sort of hear me blab on about the book of Acts. What's really powerful is when you take it and you go home and you begin to read for yourself this afternoon, next week. Begin to dive into the book of Acts with Pastor Jeff and myself. And maybe the messages, maybe you'll even, maybe you'll even be able to email us and say, hey, I caught this in the book of Acts. Can you share this? And then you help me preach and I'll give you credit for it. All right? That's how that works. So, but what we want you to do is be able to dive into it yourself. And so you read the book of Acts, you know that the author is a guy by the name of Luke. And Luke actually writes from a first-hand account. He was an eyewitness to a lot of what he wrote, what Jesus did, and what he writes. Not everything is an eyewitness account, but a lot of it, a lot of it is. Um, <clears throat> the other thing, <coughs> excuse me, the other thing that's going on here in the, in the book of Acts in particular is that you'll hear this name. And you actually hear the book of Luke as well as here in the book of Acts. He writes to a guy. He mentions this guy's name. The guy's name is Theophilus. Theophilus. And I remember the first time I came across this in the book of Acts, I was like, who on earth is Theophilus? He kind of has a cool name. But what, what is he all about and why is Luke writing to him? Uh, his name is really cool, by the way, which if you look at it a little bit, it's, it, his name literally means beloved of God. Isn't that cool? How'd you like to have a name? A little bit of God. That's cool. All right, so that's Theophilus. And so he writes to Theophilus. And this is what we can theorize, because we don't get a whole lot of information about Theophilus, all right? What we can theorize about Theophilus is he was likely someone of high status, because in the book of Luke, Luke refers to him as, O oh, excellent Theophilus. So he's a person of status, of stature, a person likely of wealth and well-being, and he's a new convert. He's likely a Gentile convert to this new Christian faith. And Luke is writing, while he's writing to a broad audience, he's writing to all the believers, all the Christians. He's specifically pointing, directing the message to Theophilus too, because Theophilus is a new convert. He's a new believer. He's writing to affirm him in his faith. He's writing to encourage him and say, yes, what you've heard is true. What you have come to believe is accurate, man. I, I just want to, I'm, I'm just encouraging you, and now I want you to be a part of 
this bigger movement that's going to be happening too. So you're not alone, man. You come to faith. You, you love God. It's true. It's true. It's true. I'm an eyewitness to a lot of what this Jesus did. He is indeed the son of the living God. He is who he said he was. And I want you to hang. I want you to stay with it. And I want you to be encouraged by that. So that's why the name Theophilus is thrown in there. So when you read that, it doesn't throw you off. But what we see, especially if we go back to um, the first part of the book of Acts, listen to this. It's Jesus' departure. He begins to make his way away. Remember, Jesus was crucified. He resurrected. He appeared a number of times to his disciples. And at the beginning of Acts, it's one of those occasions where God, where Jesus appears to his disciples, but he gives them these instructions. So if you go to Luke, sorry, if you go to Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, Listen to these words. It says this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. So listen to Jesus. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. He keeps going. Which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. There we go. We We know that we are in the right place now, all right? Verse 6, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? In the back of the minds of people of Jewish descent was this notion that, hey, there's a king that will come. He will set us up. We will no longer be subservient to Rome. We will, in fact, become kings and rulers. And they couldn't lose that idea. It was hard to get rid of that notion. And so they actually sort of refer to that here as they ask Jesus about what he's about to do. But Jesus came. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Um, He said, you're going to be my kingdom people, but guess what? It's not going to be in the way that you think it's going to be. Verse 6, then they gathered around him and asked, so um, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Verse 7, Jesus clarifies things. He says to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus sort of helps them to understand that yes, the kingdom will come. Don't concern yourself with this. That's the Father's business. He will let us know and you will know when the kingdom is coming. But what you need to concern yourself with now is the fact that there is a gift that you are going to receive. Hang tight here. Hang tight here in this place because the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. Because guess what? Before the final kingdom arrives, you you have a purpose I have something that I need from you. You are my people. I have saved you. I have called you. I I have blessed you. And I've got something for you to do and to be about. And he drops this hint, right? He drops this hint right here. He says, listen, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Wow. God comes along. Jesus comes along. He informs them. He says, hey, something 
is coming for you. And it's not the first time Jesus would drop this sort of hint. So if you go to the book of John, John chapter 14 and verse 16, listen to this. Just to give it a little bit uh, more uh, support, John 14, 16, Jesus said this, I, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So even before this point where Jesus sort of gives them the final words about what's about to happen, he drops a hint back in John 14 and he says, hey, the Father, I'm going to ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. You know how we always say, we always say, God will never leave us nor forsake us, right? You heard that before, you've been around church a while, you've heard that before. God will never leave you nor forsake you. It's actually from a passage in the book of Hebrews. And as I hear God drop hints, as I hear Jesus drop hints about how this gift is going to come, this helper, this advocate, um, the Bible actually uses the word uh, friend in some places. Um, I think actually in the passage I'm going to show you in just a second. Um, I can't help but think about how God, how Jesus is fulfilling that promise of never leaving us nor forsaking us by sending us the gift of his spirit. He said, I'm not going to leave you. I can't physically be present with you, but I'm not going to leave you. I am with you no matter what. God is always faithful to that promise, right? He's always true to his word that he will never leave us nor forsake us. All right, here's the passage that I was just talking about. John chapter 16, verses 4 through 7 from the message version. Listen to this. You never have to feel alone because God promises to be near. John chapter 16, verses 4 through 7 from the message. I didn't tell you this earlier because I was with you every day. But now I am on my way to the one who sent me. Not one of you has asked, where are you going? Instead, the longer I've talked, the sadder you've become. <laughs> the sadder you've become, he says. So let me say it again, because sometimes we're a little dense, we're a little slow, right? So let me say again, this truth, it's better for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the friend won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. The friend won't come. I love the language that Eugene Peterson uses there. I love the notion of the Spirit of God being a friend, an advocate. What's the most, one of the most common words that we use, especially among church people in our church speak, right? He is the great comforter, right? And we all think about the, the blanket that's on our bed at home, a comforter, right? Because yeah, it's kind of comfy. But in a sense, that's true because he is the one who comes as his spirit and he wraps his arms around us. He drapes himself onto our lives in such a way as to bring comfort. Um, the, the technical Greek word behind the scenes word is a paraclete or a parakletos is what they use. And so it has this idea that he clings to us. You ever, ever been through something and you can't explain it, but you know that you are just sort of being held. You're just being, you're just being supported. It's like you're alone and you feel alone, 
but you're not alone, and you know that there's someone stronger holding you together. That's the friend. That's the advocate. That's the, that's the spirit of God. And so actually, here's, a, here's kind of a question for you, and I don't know how you answered this, but what do you think about when you think about, or how do you feel when you feel about the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit? Because we, we throw this language around all the time. Good churchy people like us, I mean, we say Holy Spirit, the Spirit, Spirit, God's Spirit, whoo, Spirit, Spirit. We sing that great song, and the Spirit is in this place. We, it, a lot of times, I mean, think about it. What on earth do we mean? We're not exactly sure. Probably the most, the simplest way to put it, and I can't even begin to suggest to you that I can explain God, okay? That's just foolishness, right? But we do get some hints in Scripture. But what is, what is absolutely clear to me from Scripture is, this, is that the Spirit is God. It is who He is. It's his presence. It is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the way we talk about this triunion is that we talk about them as an intimate fellowship. Father, Son, Spirit. We talk about them uh, being an intimate fellowship, three in one. So intimate, so close, that they are, in fact, one holy, awesome, true God, one omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God. When you talk about one, you can't, you're not talking about just the one, you're talking about all of them. Nevertheless, right, Scripture specifically begins to help us, begins to point out this, 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 uh, this purpose of the person of the Spirit of God, and that is to comfort, to come alongside of, to, to be that, that one that clings to us and supports us. Uh, there are some other attributes and functions of the Spirit of God. Actually, there's a, um, there's a book by an author by the name of Francis Chan. It's called Forgotten God. It's actually not Pastor Jeff's favorite book, but I, I kind of like it. It's got a few good things. It's not my favorite either, but it's got a few good things talking about the Holy Spirit. And um, so I took a little bit of what uh, Francis Chan had to say when he talks about this forgotten God. Because um, often he, he makes the point that we talk about the Father, we talk about the Son, but often we sort of talk about the Spirit down here, right? And so he talks about who the Spirit of God is. Well, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit has his own mind and intercedes or prays for you and me. It's who the Holy Spirit is. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit has emotions, the Holy Spirit has, its own, has his own desires and will. The Holy Spirit, uh, again, is omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent, all-powerful. What are some of the functions of the Spirit? Well, again, this, these are some of my own words. Comforter, friend, advocate, counselor. Um, I, I love the notion that the Spirit brings life and freedom. Where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. Amen. <clears throat> Where the Spirit of God is, there is this, there's inspiration, right? How do we get Scripture? There were men 
that were moved to write. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. So I like the idea of, of inspiration coming. You ever felt inspired about a godly thing? Ever been inspired about making a change in life? Ever been inspired uh, to help and to, or to serve in some capacity, selflessly, sacrificially? That's all the inspiration, the moving of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. We've all had this sense of God moving in some way. We probably couldn't necessarily nail it down to one particular, you know, the reason why or what it was, but we knew that God was in it because God shows up and he inspires. I believe God gives us hope through his spirit. I believe that gifting comes from the spirit of God. Some of you, I, we, we see you and we watch you and we see your giftedness. That had nothing to do with your upbringing that had nothing to do with how talented and wonderful you are, we know that in some way the Spirit of God is moving in your life and you are gifted. God moves in you. God uses you. What's really fun is to see people so sort of thick under the Spirit of God when they're doing their thing that you just, you just see it. You just kind of stand back and go, wow, whoo, God is good. God is awesome. God is working. God is moving. It's just, it's just kind of, you just kind of go, wow, glory to God, right? So God gifts. There's also the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. All of those are reflected where the Spirit of God is at work, all right? So that's what we think about, if you will, when we think about the Spirit of God, one last thing, when, it, when we talk about the Spirit of God and who, God is, who the Spirit of God is and so forth, what tends to happen is we tend to stick the, the, the Holy Spirit in the category of the emotional. And so if we get an emotional response, we, we would say, man, the, woo, the Holy Spirit was there. Now, I'm not necessarily denying that's the case. But the Spirit isn't primarily, it's not primarily about an emotional response. Just because there are tears doesn't necessarily mean that the Spirit of God was moving. Um, in fact, it, when we look in just a moment, um, well, we'll just look at it right now. But if you look at, um, if you look at Acts um, chapter, <clears throat> chapter 2, and the Spirit comes at Pentecost, uh, you don't necessarily get this, this big emotional response. In fact, let's go there. Ch uh, it's uh, Acts chapter 2. This is the day of Pentecost. You, remember, Jesus told them to wait until the gift of the Spirit comes. So they were waiting. Here's the arrival of the Spirit. And it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. <clears throat> Acts 2, 1 through 4, I believe it is. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All right? So there very well may have been an emotional response in that place. I imagine there was because people who had gathered from all over the place, heard, their, heard, heard this language, these languages being spoken, heard about God in their own language, and they likely were deeply moved by what was happening in that place. 
But let's not always stick the Holy Spirit in the category of simply emotionalism or just an emotional response. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Rather than seeing the Holy Spirit simply as this place for personal, um, for a personal high, for a personal emotional high, what, you, what we can't miss is the presence of the Holy Spirit and the purpose that comes with it, right? So as powerful as the Holy Spirit is, and as powerful as it is to elicit an emotional response, and it does, I'm not, not denying that, God does powerful work and he moves us very deeply, and we may very well weep. But often what comes out of that is a very clear purpose In other words, God won't just give you a high. God often follows that high with something intentional for us to do. Where there is the presence of God, you often find your deepest purpose on behalf of God. Where there is the presence of God by his spirit and he moves very deeply, you don't just get spiritually high, all right? Churches aren't, like the dispensaries in Colorado. Some of y'all are going to get that. Some of y'all are like, what's he talking about? All right? So you can go to Colorado and find a dispensary and get some pot and get high, right? That's, that's not the idea with the Spirit of God. You come and you may be in the presence of God and you experience a fullness of God and it very well may take you to a spiritual new place. But rather than you just staying high all the time, God's always going to bring you back down so you can do something significant for him here. And he specifically names it. What does he name it? He calls it, uh, he says, I want you to be my witnesses, right? That's what he tells them. Let's go back to that passage. Uh, Acts chapter 1 and uh, verses 4 through 9, but it's verse Verse 7, he says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So he, he says, I'm going to move upon you with this gift. It's going to make a difference. But out of this gifting, there's going to be a grand purpose to advance my kingdom, to move to move in such a way that more people become aware of who I am and become intentional glorifiers of me. In other words, purpose. With that power from God, which the Holy Spirit is, there's often a very clear, clear, clear purpose. Purpose. Purpose solves a lot of problems for us, right? You ever, you ever been without a purpose in life? You ever found yourself sort of wandering? Where there is no purpose, there's lots of opportunity for a lot of foolishness. <laughs> right? So here, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. I've got to run in a few minutes, but here's the deal. Um, I work with a lot of people who are, have been addicts or who are addicts who are walking through the process of getting clean. One of the most profound things that, that, that I've learned through this journey and learned with them Um, also as an addict, is that there are two things that are essential for getting clean and staying clean. One is a deep 
sense of connection and intimacy with others, both with God and with others. Um, Where you have that, you will see people uh, get well, get sober, get clear. In fact, there's a quote I'm going to put up on the board for you real quick. I hope we got that. Um, But it says this. This is from Johan, I forgot his last name. Johan, what is his last name? Hari, Johan Hari. Great TED Talk. Everything you think you knew about addiction is wrong, but this is his line, and it goes to my point of connection. He says, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. So where you have connection, especially in the context of of Holy Spirit uh, drawn together community, what you see in Acts chapter 2, what we read about the first scene, you have a lot of wellness, you have a lot of sobriety, you have a lot of healthy things going on. That's that Acts 2 community, man. They didn't have any problems with people getting high on stuff. They didn't have any problems with people running around and cheating on their spouses and so forth because they had profound and deep and significant community. Where, where that exists, you get a lot of clarity about things, right? The second thing um, that has to be there is purpose purpose, something to do, something significant that you are about. When you roll out of bed, you're saying to yourself, (coughs) excuse me, you roll out of bed, you're saying to yourself, this is what I'm about. When your feet hit the floor, you're like, yes, I I got something to do today. Guess what that does where there exists purpose? You got, you can't get distracted by foolishness because you're so hung up on your purpose. So what the Spirit of God does as He dwells in you is that He he gives you this profound sense of purpose. He captivates you with His purpose so that you're not captured by other foolish things. Where you see lots of wandering and where you see people off track and hooked up and strung out and hooked on and everything else is that you see them lack very often purpose. So the Spirit of God comes not to just give you power and a high, but he comes to give you a deep and profound sense of purpose so that you're not pulled away by other stuff. Purpose often comes out of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And what does he tell those gathered in community? You you will now be my witnesses. You will now have a purpose you won't get distracted by foolishness, all right? And here's the thing. A lot of times the church loses its sense of purpose. Why are we here, people? Be a witness to the gospel, to talk about Jesus. We are not here to debate until we're blue in the face whether or not women should be ordained. We're not. We're not here primarily to argue about whether or not there should be drums in church of whether or not people should take their earrings out. No, 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 no. That's foolishness. We are primarily here to be about the purpose of lifting high the name of Jesus, talking about the gospel, talking about how Jesus saves, to be a witness to the goodness and the good things that Jesus is all about. And guess what? God will help steer the purpose of the people who hear those messages. God, the gospel will take care of a lot of things when purpose becomes clear. So the church, rather than getting distracted with silly little things, stay on purpose, stay on message, stay focused. You are my witnesses. All right, I got to close with this. Years ago, 2005, I believe it was, a young woman um, by the name of Ashley Smith was in, um, was in Georgia. 
She lived in Georgia. She was a recent widow. Her husband had passed away about four months prior to this episode. You, you will likely remember this story. She was making her way home late at night. She had run out to the store, came home, when she was approached by a man who at the time was the subject of the largest manhunt in the history of Georgia. He was a violent, awful, murdering, terrible person. And she encounters him. He holds her at gunpoint in her apartment. Um, well into the next morning, until the sun comes up, they're still there. But what she did was quite profound. As she was talking to this very terrible criminal man, she began to, she, she began to tell him that she's a Christian. She began to talk about her faith and how she loved Jesus, loved God. And then she proceeded to say, hey, do you, would you mind if I read to you? That's what you do. If a burglar's in your house, you show up and say, hey, I got this book, right? No, not in Florida. You pull out your gun. No, I'm not going to go there. But, <laughs> but, right, she starts to read. And guess what book she started to read to him? Purpose Driven Life by a pastor by the name of Rick Warren. She began to read to them, to him. In fact, I got a little excerpt of what she read to him. Um, this is what she read. She was on day 33. It's, if you ever read the book, I, I encourage you to read the book. It's a great book. Um, she was on day 33. It has, each day it has these little, these little excerpts. But she was on day 33, and she read this to this hardened criminal, right? She's alone. She's 23 years old. You know, she's a, she's a widow. She has a little girl. Little girl isn't there. And she's with this criminal, right, all alone, thinking that she's about to die. She pulls out the purpose-driven life and starts reading we serve God by serving others. The world defines greatness in terms of power, possessions, prestige, and position. If you can demand service from others, you're, you've arrived. In our self-serving culture with this me-first mentality, acting like a servant is not a popular concept. That's, that's exactly what you would read to a criminal that's about to kill you, right? Isn't that great? She continued to talk, to talk with this man all through the evening, all through the night. And all she wanted to do is to convince him to let her go pick up her daughter because she didn't want her daughter to be an orphan. And she, she just sort of just began to, to, to pour out to this man about her purpose in life, why she was here. And then she began to lay it, then she began to lay it on him that, hey, I imagine that it's not an accident that you have come across me, that you've come across me, the little 20, I think she was 23, 24 years old, little widow woman and who's, who's, who's reading to you the purpose-driven life. So she gets to, she starts talking and she keeps going at him. He said, but after I started to read to him, he saw, I guess, he saw my faith and what I really believed in. And I told him I was a child of God. Listen to the purpose statements in her voice. I'm a I was a child of God and that I wanted to do God's will. That's why she's here. I guess he began to want to, too. That's what I think, she said. I said, do you believe in miracles? Because if you don't believe in miracles, you are here for a reason. I believe you're here for a reason. You're here in my apartment for some reason. Purpose, purpose, purpose. You got out of that courthouse with police everywhere, and you don't think that's a miracle? You don't think you're supposed to be sitting right here in front of me, listening to me tell you you know uh, you're here for a reason. And she just, kept, she just kept going on and on and on. And eventually, 
he would say, yeah, let's get in the car. I'm going to let you drive me to get your daughter. And along the way, she had convinced him that the best thing for him to do is to turn himself in, that God has a bigger purpose for his life, that you won't get out of this. You are going to jail where you should be and you deserve to be, but God's going to use you even in jail. She convinced a criminal that the best place for him was jail. She just gave the brother a purpose. I can't tell you how much I believe the presence of the Holy Spirit was in that place. She drove, and on the way, she picked up her phone and called the police. God didn't stop her. Police showed up. They took him. What a powerful story. It's the power of purpose. The Spirit doesn't just show up to make you feel good. It does. Thank you, Jesus. The Spirit shows up, it comforts, it makes us feel good. But it won't leave us there. It'll move us into a profound purpose, which will make us help, help, make us, help us make a whole lot more sense out of the life that we're called to lead. Lord Jesus, bless us as we leave this place. May your Spirit move. May we continue, to, may we continue in this conversation about the power of your Spirit and the purpose that it gives us to be your witnesses in the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.